This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, every once in a while I get in one of these introspective moods about hobby history, especially um, after some reading old articles, sometimes I'll stumble on an old book that I had or something and it gets me thinking and rethinking the past and using it to shape the future is not a bad thing, right? One of the coolest things about our hobbies is the amazing progression over the years in both the state of the art and the technology that we embrace. Improvements that have enabled us to do things previously thought incredibly difficult or even impossible unfold daily on social media. And the progression seems to be accelerating constantly. What an awesome time to be a fish geek, right? Now, granted, we've been talking about some not, a, not so new ideas like leaves and stuff. And in the reef aquarium world, we talk about stuff like sand and refugiums and things like that. But these are things that we are talking about incorporating into more modern iterations of our aquariums. It's not us pining away for the good old days of 2003 or whatever. Now, we do have some preconceptions based on how things were when they first came to prominence, yet it's literally a new idea in the reef aquarium world anyway, since say, oh, 2005 or so. It pays to look back at some of the old thinking tempered with new approaches, technologies, and ideas, not to mention the new body of work as the aquarium community has started to accumulate this stuff in the last decade or so, right? I was talking with a really pessimistic reef keeper, a friend of mine a while back, <laughs> who basically trashed or dismissed every single development or change in the hobby over the last decade or so. According to him, nothing was new or significant. It's already happened and pretty much everything new in the hobby is a ripoff of something that was around before. I think maybe he was jealous or something, but it was an attitude I've seen before in the hobby. Kind of a stupid attitude, really. After reading about and discussing some new product or evolved technique, you'll often see these pessimists unleash comments on forums and other social media outlets like, that's nothing new really, you know, such and such had something like that a few years ago, or all that guy did was add whatever, it's not really new. It reminds me of when people boast that they, you know, thought of the idea for Twitter or whatever years ago, they just never got around to building it, right? Attitude, jealousy maybe, I don't know. Comments and attitudes like this seem to overlook a few simple facts, and the workings of aquarium hobby progress is kind of interesting. So let's look at this a bit closer. Did you ever think about how the technology and practices we routinely utilize in the hobby came into being? Much of it, but certainly not all of it, is built upon achievements and developments from the past. This isn't some high concept. I mean, it all started with a goldfish bowl, right? Sure, there's some brand new technologies that trickle into the hobby all the time, yet many of the hottest new products and techniques of today rose uh, out of a res you know somebody looking at something that was already in existence or been done and saying, hey, I can do better than that. It's that better mousetrap theory, right? Solving a pain point with something that works better. Things evolve over time, often borrowing from existing technology or technique. 
Oh, he's using that term evolve again. Sheesh, what is with this guy? Well, anyway, we don't need to look too far back into the aquarium's hobby past to see some prime examples of this evolution either. Let's talk about, let's go to the reef world again because that's where there's been so much change in such a short time. If you remember hearing about the trickle filter, uh, it's derived from sewage treatment technology. This venerable invention literally helped invent the reef system in the mid 80s, the reef aquariums, placing the promises of the miniature reef into the grasp of pretty much every marine hobbyist. There was a landmark series of articles in a magazine called Freshwater and Marine Aquarium written in 1986 by a gentleman from Germany named George Schmidt, and he was extolling this technology. Literally, it helped launch the modern mass market reef aquarium craze as we know it. By 1988, it seemed like the marine sector of the hobby just exploded in popularity with dozens of new filter manufacturers arriving on the scene almost monthly. Every time you pick up a magazine, there was a different manufacturer of you know, wet, dry trickle filters. Now, as the decade wore on, however, hobbyists and manufacturers saw fit to improve the trickle filters that were available at the time, creating new models with features like greater media capacity, more baffles to break up flow, and compartments to hold equipment like protein skimmers and reactors, and little improvements that provided increased performance. Nothing revolutionary, mind you, just tweaks. Yet tweaks that represented significant improvements in performance from earlier iterations, promising better results for hobbyists. Eventually, it was determined that the trickle filters were great at removing ammonia and nitrite, yet tended to allow nitrate to accumulate rapidly. In the 90s, many reefers embraced the belief that accumulating nitrate could be a detriment to their coral growth and long-term fish health. And they, it had high concentrations it was, but at the concentrations they were seeing, likely it wasn't. We just weren't very good at keeping corals back then. But almost overnight, conventional trickle filtration began to fall out of favor. Hobbyists everywhere began yanking the plastic filter media, you know, bio balls or whatever that were in those trickle filters out. I laugh now because most of the best reefs I know have detectable nitrate levels. And I know at least a handful of hobbyists that dose nitrate because their corals need it to grow. So I kind of wonder now, would the trickle filter make a comeback? Anyway, with that little adjustment, the trickle filter became what we call the sump, which was primarily the nexus for water treatment. Basically, a tank at the bottom of your aquarium, just at the underneath your aquarium, just to hold water and process it through the chemical and filtration media or whatever. It would have sucked to be in the plastic filter media manufacturing business about that time, right? <laughs> a definite candidate for the proverbial buggy whip of the 20th century for sure. But the reality is maybe it'll make a comeback. I don't know. With no use for biological towers within this new school of thought, this feature began to disappear from filters. Uh, use of calcium hydroxide, also known as Kalkwasser, uh, was utilized to increase alkalinity and calcium to precipitate phosphates and grow coral. It was called the Berlin method of aquarium keeping because it started in Germany in Berlin and it arrived. And a variation of this method has been more or less the state of the art ever since with some adjustments and tweaks here or there. Once again, existing technology had morphed to accommodate the prevailing school of thought. The state of the art evolved and so did the equipment. It's an idea from the past that was improved upon to accommodate the needs of the present. In my opinion, some of us in the hobby are often too quick to chide these kind of evolutionary steps as copying or ripping off existing ideas, when in reality, they're simply improving and building upon what was already there. I mean, you need a pump to move water, so why not use the latest DC technology instead of 1970s vintage motors, right? Duh. This is the necessary progression of things in many cases. We don't make the leap from undergravel filters to high-capacity sumps and hyper-efficient protein skimmers with electronic DC pumps or from normal output fluorescent to programmable LED lighting overnight. 
Hobbyist manufacturers and product designers looked at the prevailing technology of the day, assessed the needs of the hobby, and attempted to improve upon these existing technologies. Remember, many of these improvements are done to gain market advantage over competitors. I get that. For example, if I make an easier to maintain filter, hobbyists are more likely to purchase my product. Further refinements take place all the time. Sometimes aftermarket you know, businesses spring up around improvements to existing mass market products. Technology like 3D printing is going to keep democratizing this process, making it possible for small manufacturers, small businesses to offer incremental improvements to established equipment. This is super cool, right? This is how the hobby progresses. It's not just limited to the aquarium hobby, obviously. Think about you know, everyday technologies like telephones. When the cord from the phone was cut, it changed the way we communicate as a species. Improvements in technology revolutionized the way we could quickly interact with others, and that gave us the smartphones that pretty much run our lives. They allow us to talk, write, text, send photos, stream video, and shop effortlessly and instantaneously with others, creating true global communities and communication once thought impossible. We take it for granted, and we sometimes do in the aquarium world too. Need more proof that change and progression in the hobby are often the result of this evolution? Look no further than one of my long-standing favorite hobby topics, reef aquarium aquascaping. Yes, I actually like aquascaping, believe it or not, but reefs. Those of you familiar with my rants from the saltwater world know that I'm no lover of what I used to call the wall of rock, which was essentially a large quantity of live rock, more or less stacked end to end in the aquarium. It's been utilized as the default aquascaping configuration since the beginning of the reef aquarium hobby. In my opinion, it's outdated, uninspired, and functionally detrimental, and just unnecessary. I feel strongly about this because, among other reasons, I understand its history. Back in the 80s, live rock was a breakthrough in aquarium management. Biological filtration and a diversity of life were considered revolutionary concepts in aquariums. It was widely believed that you needed X number of pounds per gallon of aquarium capacity of live rock to achieve these results. So when we set up our tanks, we dutifully dump tons, literally in some cases, tons of rock into them. And even though water capacity, swimming area, and flow were often compromised with this configuration, it was widely held that the benefits were far greater than any potential downside. So you'd have these tanks just covered wall to wall with a rock. Now, over the years, however, it was discovered that we really don't need all that rock for biological filtration and that you could utilize other techniques, you know, protein skimming, whatever, to help efficiently process nutrients in our aquariums. Hobbyists began to experiment by creating systems with less rock. With the understanding of biological processes and their effect on husbandry that we've developed over the years, water volume and movement have taken on greater significance and hobbyists began to utilize far less rock in their aquascapes unless their design called for it, that is. The rock wall was no longer considered the only way to run a reef system, and the concept of reef aquascaping has evolved dramatically, experiencing a real renaissance of sorts with lots of negative space and even the use of artificial rock and sometimes no rock. Crazy stuff. Inspiration is an open source, and innovation is for anyone to embrace. It can come from anywhere at any time. Some aquarium technologies, such as lighting, borrow it from other industries or fields of endeavor, whereas others, such as the development of new food products, arise out of knowledge and experience gained within the fields of marine science and aquaculture and good old hobbyist you know, experience as well. Ideas, technologies, and technique cross-pollinate between fields, and these changes benefit us all. Looking to change the hobby? Look at the world around you. There's no great hobby conspiracy that keeps to 
you know, it seeks to keep ideas and progression in the hands of just some chosen few. These days, anybody with an idea and a determination, and for that matter, an internet connection, can forge a new path for the hobby. Think about this for a while. As a fan of the botanical method aquarium or a reef aquarium or whatever, you're actually a participant in the progression of the hobby. You've got a front row seat to this revolution and your comments, questions, and ideas don't go unnoticed by manufacturers, fellow hobbyists, and industry people. You can make the change happen. You're doing it now. If I can do it with leaves and twigs, we can definitely do a lot with coral and rock and all these other things that we play with. Rethinking the application of new ideas and finding out how to incorporate them into our postmodern aquarium systems is not some form of nostalgia. It's recognizing that the idea works. It worked back then too, but was cast aside in the rush for new discoveries and the application of the latest gadgets or whatever. We sort of come full circle, realizing that what got us to this point all worked to a certain extent. At least it's up to us to figure out how to hack this stuff into the latest and greatest, right? So the next time you might be tempted to criticize somebody's new hobby idea or product because it seemingly borrows from something already in existence, realize that you're merely seeing the evolution of the hobby at its flashpoint. It's easy for me to question the necessity of stuff like you know, the lighted algae reactors that are so hot right now. But the reality is that they take an old idea and make it work in a new environment. I'll admit I was and have been really hard on this new idea that the reef aquarium world has for growing macroalgae. However, I guess it's like using iTunes on a dock in your 1990s era SUV. It, it works. Not the latest thing to, to do it, but it works. So the takeaway from Grumpy Old Me is don't just chide the development, be, uh, uh, you know, because part of it seems derived from something familiar. Embrace it, enjoy it, and utilize it. Improve it if you think you can or if you think it's needed. Stay creative, stay progressive, stay forward thinking, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.